everyone. I am Serena Sodi. Today I've been graciously invited to collaborate with Unraveling Time to talk about the big influencers in the second generation romantic era. Now, if you know me, you'd know that one of the biggest inspirations for my artwork is Eugene Delacroix, the romantic painter. So this topic falls right under my belt. However, to get a sense of the poetry and literature at this time, I've invited a couple of my friends to join me. So, with the help of Vanita, Gervir, and Amreen, let's dive right in. Okay, so before we get started, everyone, introduce yourselves. Hey, I'm Vanita Habu. I love literature and I aspire to become a well-renowned poet. I'm here to talk about one of the most iconic poets to ever exist, Lord Byron. Hello guys, I'm Gabriel Sidhu. I'm a writer and I've been invited to share with you the legend, Mary Shelley, who I look up to so much. Hey everyone, my name is Emreen Bhatia and I'm a new songwriter. And I'm here today to talk to you guys about not Mary Shelley, but her husband, Percy Bysshe Shelley. Wait, wasn't Lord Byron also Percy's friend too? Yes, he was. Oh, so that means that everyone's connected in some way. Yeah, and Eugene Delacroix also looked up to Lord Byron. Wait, this is so cool. So let's get this started. Vanita, you admire Lord Byron, right? Well, I wouldn't say I admire him. He was a brilliant poet indeed, but his character was, how do I say this, a little bit scandalous. Oh yeah, I've heard a lot about him. Do tell us more. If you say so, George Gordon Noel Byron was born in London on January 22nd of 1788. He was the son of Catherine Gordon, a rich heiress, and Captain John, a British army officer and writer. Captain John squandered his wife's inheritance and was absent for the birth of Byron. This led an emotionally unstable Catherine to raise her son in an extremely toxic atmosphere. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. He had such a terrible upbringing. It explains why he grew up to be the way he was. He was considered the most gossip-ridden poet of the early 1880s, known as mad, bad, and dangerous to know. He became the talk of the town not only for his poetry, but also his personal life. His looks made him popular among the ladies. He started a scandalous affair with Lady Carolyn Lamb and was ostracized when he was suspected of having an intimate relationship with, believe it or not, his half-sister, who even gave birth to an illegitimate child. Later in 1814, he married Annabella Milbank and had a daughter. However, Annabella left him soon after since Byron was often getting involved with other women. He was also believed to have bisexual tendencies, specifically towards a young chorister named John Edelston. However, he only really pursued women. This is important because most of his poetry was inspired by his relationships. In fact, when his already engaged distant cousin named Mary Chatsworth rejected him in 1803, she became the symbol of idealized and unattainable love for him, and that was reflected in his poetry. Wait, are you telling me one of the most influential poets of the Romantic era was a tyrannical playboy? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. So how did Byron contribute to the Romantic era of poetry? 
Byron was a leader of the Romantic era's poetic revolution. He had a talent with words, and his eccentric personality found expression in satire, odes, lyrics, epics, and more. His most acclaimed piece was probably Don Juan, a satirical romantic poem consisting of 16 cantos based on the famous womanizer Don Juan, in which Byron reverses, making Juan the one who is easily seduced by women. The first two cantos were published anonymously in 1819, and although it was criticized for its immoral content, it was immensely popular for the shock factor. He was one of the few poets who wrote romantic poems that were actually about romance. However, even when he wrote about a woman, he compared her to nature, which is seen in his poem She Walks in Beauty. She walks in beauty like the night, of cloudless climes and starry skies, are the first lines of the poem, where he compares her beauty to that of a starry night. Wasn't he very vocal about his opinions on politics and society? Yes, he was a strong advocate of social reform. He attended the House of Lords in 1812 talking about the Luddites, workers who broke machines that were replacing them during the Industrial Revolution, and expressed that violence was not the right way to respond to things, stating that the sword is the worst argument that can be used, so it should be the last. He defended them, stating that their livelihoods were taken away and they have every right to be mad, but also disagreed with their actions. Byron often denounced war and politics in his poetry. The last cantos of Don Juan satirically described the social conditions in England at the time and attacks leading politicians. He spent the last moments of his life helping the Greek people in their fight for freedom from Turkish rule. However, he died in April 1824 of a fever before he could even see any progress. Whoa! Yeah, a lot to take in, huh? Lord Byron didn't like many people, but he was very close to another famous poet at the time, Percy Bysshe Shelley. Yes, Percy Bysshe Shelley was friends with Lord Byron. It makes sense if you think about it, since both of them were a little insane. Oh my goodness, I swear, if you end up telling me that Percy Bysshe Shelley was also a crazy heartbreaker, I'm leaving. Well, he wasn't exactly like Byron. Let me explain. Percy Bysshe Shelley is one of the most epic poets of the 19th century. At 16 years old, Shelley was involved in a scandal with Harriet Westbrook. After eloping, Shelley became annoyed of her and he became interested in another woman called Elizabeth Hitchner, a school teacher who inspired his first major poem, Queen Mab, published in 1813. A year later, Shelley fell in love with Mary Shelley, whom he went on many adventures with. They traveled together in Europe and spent the summer of 1816 together at Lake Geneva with Lord Byron, who developed a strong relationship with. So why was their friendship important? Overall, Byron really influenced Shelley and encouraged him to write more during his visits. The first time that Shelley went boating with Byron, Shelley created the poem Hymn of the Intellectual Beauty. It was written in 1816 and was focused on romantic ideas and his own philosophies. Oh, that's interesting, but may I ask, why is he your inspiration? 
I still have to talk more about him and why he influenced me, and then you'll understand. In the majority of Shelley's poems, including Hymn of the Intellectual Beauty, he demonstrates a keen interest in the nature of beauty through his fields closely related to nature's power. In his early work, Shelley showed his interest in panatheism, the belief that God runs through everything in this universe. He referred to this as the spirit of beauty and mentioned how the spirit can also cause many emotions about divine truth. Shelley states that the spirit can also be a great influence on many people and promote the world for its betterment. But on the contrary, Shelley also throws hints about how it could not be positive and how it could be negative. Therefore, he says that it's a fair balance of both positivity and negativity. Wow, just a quick question that was on my mind. I wanted to broaden my understanding a little bit further about the hymn to intellectual poems relation to romanticism. In the years he wrote, many of his poems promoted the philosophies of how society could be changed by the beauty of both people and nature, which were the key events and themes of the Romantic era. In the poem, Hymn of the Intellectual Beauty, he uses comparisons between human emotions and also the viewpoints of nature to address the human emotion going well together with his philosophy. Exactly how did his philosophy become so relevant? The part I found really fascinating was the central thought of the hymn of the intellectual beauty, which is a spiritual power is present in both the physical world and the heart of man. So throughout the poem, Shelley is seen to be conceived by the presence of spiritual power, which is hidden to man, but shows up in shadows. The quote that represents this of philosophy is that when Shelley states, our state, this dim, vast veil of tears, abandoned and isolated. Here, Shelley's trying to show us that we cannot understand the logic between the spirit's appearance and disappearance. Because of this, Shelley is haunted by the spirit and he questions God in his concluding stanza where he prays to the power of the spirit of beauty to continue to supply the peace that it does to one who worships thee. Overall, Shelley meant to convey the idea that there's both beauty and abstract between both the romantic ideas. Oh my god, that's so cool to think that your inspiration was the husband of my favorite author. I'm shocked. Did you know she also wrote the famous book Frankenstein in 1818? It's still one of the most famous classic novels. I know, she was an interesting woman, but I still admire Percy Bysshe Shelley more than her. Wait, Mary Shelley was the one who wrote Frankenstein? Yes, she was. She was born in 1797. Her father, William Godwin, was an English journalist and novelist. Mary's mother was also a women's rights activist. When her mother passed away, only her father left, was left to take care of her and her stepsister. William later got married to another woman, Mary Jane. Mary and her stepmother never got along well, and Mary didn't go to school. How did she even think about becoming a writer without school? She fell in love with literature due to her father's vast collection of books. She, she then fell in love with one of her father's students, Percy Bysshe Shelley, who was already married but still fled away from England. This led to some horrific times in Mary's life, including her father being upset with her for fleeing against his will, 
Losing her first child with Percy in 1815 and financially struggling. Later, she met up with friends in Switzerland where Mary Shelley started to write her masterpiece, Frankenstein. My favorite quote from the book is I, the miserable and the abandoned, am an abortion, to be spurned at and kicked and trampled on. This quote is about the monster feeling rejected as Victor Frankenstein, the main character, abandoned him after creating him. This book was a massive success, but Mary's life was still. Full of tragedies because after getting married she lost two more children. Only Percy Florence lived. In 1822 her husband drowned and then she died of brain cancer in 1851. Wow her life seems tragic before and after my favorite poet died. Yes it has been said that at the cremation of Percy Shelley his heart somehow survived and due to her love for him she carried his heart with her wherever she went. That is intense and weird. But how did she contribute to the Romantic era? Her life itself seems more like a horror movie. Mary Shelley was one of the founders of literature in the Romantic era. Even though Mary Shelley was an author and not a poet, she also had some poems including Monsieur Nong Tong Pa written in 1808. It was a humorous poem about an English man living in France who didn't want to learn French. When he asked someone a question, they replied saying, Monsieur, je ne vous entends pas, meaning that I don't understand you. The man heard him saying, Monsieur, non tant pas. Eighteen o eight. How old was she when she wrote it? That's the crazy thing. She wrote at the age of 11. It was a long, famous poem divided into 12 plates. She proved that age doesn't matter. You can start your path to success no matter what age you are. To conclude, her life was filled with ups and downs, impacting romantic poetry while adding to the genre of horror. But how is Mary Shelley even important to the Reformation? What was her part? One of the most important things in the Reformation was the movement of women's rights, which ties into Mary Shelley. With popular writers like William Wordsworth and Charles Dixon, there weren't a significant amount of women writers. She created a platform and introduced the role of women in literature with her truly amazing writing. Hey Serena, you're the one who brought us all together to talk about our role models for poetry, but you still haven't talked about yours. What inspires you? Oh my goodness, I was so engrossed in your stories that I nearly forgot. You like Eugene Delacroix, right? Yes, most of my work is inspired by his art. Ferdinand Victor Eugene Delacroix lived between April 26, 1798 to August 13, 1863. His education included being taught by painter Pierre Narcisse Guérin and learning in the École des Beaux-Arts. Delacroix got most of his inspiration from literature and historical events, specifically from poets like Lord Byron and Shakespeare. Additionally, he seemed to be fascinated by tragedy because a lot of his paintings were of battlefields and violence. No wonder he was inspired by Byron.
Yeah, next, Delacroix went on a transformational trip to Morocco in 1832. This was when his art began to change. He produced over a hundred paintings about the general lifestyle in North Africa. This showed his love for the Orient, which are people from North Africa or exotic lands. Later on in his life, he was commissioned by the French government for many different projects. These paintings were mostly of nature. That's cool and all, but what made him a romantic painter? French romantic painters can be recognized by their loose flowing brush strokes and bright colors. They like painting about subjects like the natural world, emotions, the orient, and politics, such as the death of and liberty leading. Wait, Byron wrote an epic titled Sir Danapolis. Yeah, this painting was based off of Byron's epic. The death of Sardanapalus was based on what happened to the corrupted Assyrian king Sardanapalus. When he found out that he was going to be defeated in war, he ordered everything he liked to be killed, such as the woman, his slaves, and his horses. This painting was filled with violence, but above it all rests the serene king looking down on the chaos. The tragedy depicted in his paintings, such as this one, paved a new path for paintings that emphasize emotion above order. To help us better understand, we can compare this painting to the ones of the neoclassical period. Neoclassical paintings were all about geometry, the organization of space, and they were mainly about heroes. On the other hand, we have the death of Sardanapalus, which depicts the story of a corrupted king. It is filled to the brim with people and chaos, and it is full of energy. Oh gosh, that's both gruesome and beautiful. Tell me more about his work. Alright, lastly, I'll talk about one of the most famous paintings, Liberty Leading the People. It was painted in 1830 about the French Revolution. Usually, paintings as large as this one would have been about history, mythology, or religious scenes. But, Delacroix's subject for the painting was of a political event. He used this painting to rebel against the rule by implying that all of the classes should come together to overthrow the king. Once again, Delacroix does not shy away from violence. He makes sure to show us the cost of the revolution with the deaths shown. In all of his paintings, except especially this one, his uses of color is greatly emphasized because he uses color in an emotional and passionate way in contrast to the normal modeling that was used in the neoclassicism era. It's so amazing how much impact these paintings have had. Yes, it truly is. Delacroix really left a big impact in the artist world because he expanded the subject of paintings, their use of emotions over order. After the Romantic era, Delacroix still impacted the Impressionist and the Post-Impressionist movement. Wow, we sure learned a lot about the second generation of poetry. Yeah. All these people led very interesting lives and contributed so much to the Romantic era and societal reformation.
Their poetry, paintings, and novels were amazing. And on top of that, I still can't process the fact that they're all interconnected too. You can really see how they emphasize the main beliefs of the Romantic era through their work. The second generation poets, writers, and painters really were some of the most influential people in history. Once again, I would like to thank everyone for coming out to help me with this episode. Special shout out to the producer of Unraveling Time. That's all for today, folks. Make sure to stick around because there's still so much more that we need to unravel in time.